0: In just a couple of weeks, we'll start our annual series of messages, messages in the movie. You know, there's something about movies, and this is the time of year that movies come out, the good ones come out. Right around Memorial Day weekend, they come out all summer long, if there's going to be a good one. Uh, they kind of come out at this time of the year, and, and you get to go as a family throughout the summer and, and spend that $40 uh, every time you go, And if you're my family. And you spend that $40 and you just hope that you get entertained for, for two hours worth of $40. I don't know if it's $40 worth, but nevertheless, that's kind of what we enjoy doing. It's an American pastime. But it's not only uh, an American pastime. I mean, it's, it's, it's really everywhere. I mean, the facts show that every day 3 million Americans go to the movies or another 6 million rent a movie by video or on demand. So if you have watched a movie this week, would you raise your hand in any shape or form? All right. So we've got movie watchers in the room. We like movies. We go to movies. People around the world go to movies. It's not just an American thing. The Chinese have increased their movie watching 25% each year for the past five years, spending $111 million in one three-month period at the theaters alone. So it's American. It's Chinese. It's all around the world. We like going to movies. What is it about the movies? It's not just the movies, I promise you. Because most of them really aren't worth going to see and spending, dropping the 40 bucks on. But there's something about a story. There's something that captivates us. We, we, we get engrossed in a good story, a, a, a good storyline, a good plot, a good ending where the good guy wins and he always gets the girls. You know, that, that kind of storyline. Even if it's not true of our life, maybe we can vicariously live in, in that other storyline out there. Fictional books is one of those ways for a lot of years Really drove at it. And it's still today. U.S. book sales totaled $25 billion in 2000. We love a good story. We love stories. If we, if we can't find a good story on television or at the movie theater, we make up a good story. It's called gossip. But we like a good story. You know, we're talking about somebody. We, we, we've got to hear the goods on somebody. We've got to pass on the goods. Now, we kind of want to couch you, kind of, kind of tell you, t- well, I don't know this is sure. And, and I heard this from somebody that's a reliable source and I really can't share it. Or the Christian version is you share a prayer request. You pray for somebody. I say, I, I can't give you all the details, but here's just what I know. And then you pray for that person. And all along, you have been so excited about being able to share this prayer request. I've been excited about the prayer, but you've been excited about being able to share that prayer request. Well, the Bible's been dealing with this and uh, telling us about this for years, because in Proverbs 188, it says this: "The words of a gossip are like tasty bits of food. The words of a gossip are like tasty bits of food. People like to gobble them up. That's us. We love a story. If we can't find a story, we'll make up a story. Stories are throughout. You know, the Bible is all about stories. Not all of it, but 70% of the Bible is written in a narrative form. Storytelling. Stories again and again. All of life is made up of stories. We can't miss them. In fact, Jesus, when He taught, He was all about stories. It says this in Matthew thirteen thirty four. It says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, He never spoke to them without using such parables. You need to mark that verse down, Matthew thirteen thirty four, and just notice that Jesus never taught that He did not tell a story. What is it, again, about stories? We'll pay the money to go see the stories. I think it's somewhere like a 60 to $80 billion industry, the movies are, a year. We tell stories. We make up stories. Jesus told stories. The Bible is 70% stories. What is it about stories that attracts us, that draws us in? I think it's because it's the way God wired us. 70% of Americans, even though we're a very literate culture, learn better in a narrative story form than they do in a conceptual linear form. Stories have a way of capturing our hearts like facts don't. All right. Now, I've given you a lot of statistics, as you notice from the beginning. I have been very linear, very, very much in a in a in a, uh, in a conceptual kind of way, giving you facts and figures and analytics to 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 base this message off of. That is not the best way you learn. In fact, if I right now turned right around and said, "Let's take a test on all the statistics that I gave you," you would not do well. All right, if you're like most people. Unless you've got that photographic memory. Because the facts may help you understand something. The facts may get you to really hold on to something. That's the, that's the part of your brain that, 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 that many times we, we function. as the left side of the brain. It's that analytical. It's rational. But it's really not the part that God taps into. He taps into that right side of the brain. That, that, that right side of the brain is that part of us that tells stories. It's that part of us that has emotions. It's that part of us that dreams. Stories grab you. Now, you can't do away with the left side of the brain. The statistics, the facts, the figures, the analytics, they keep you. The statistics keep you. But the stories grab you. Now, now let's go back and ask that question. Why is it that Jesus always told stories? Why is it that when God instructed the Scriptures to be written, He instructed them to be written 70% of the time in story form? Why is it that we spend so much money and wag our tongue so much telling stories? Because stories come from heart, come from a part of who we are that we can't get past. And it's a part of who we are that God taps into. And I want to say to you today, You have a story. God has a story in you. And as you enter into this mission called life that that He's called us to, you carry with you a story to be told. You carry a story of His grace. You carry a story of suffering. You carry stories of disappointment. You carry stories of heartache. You carry stories of triumph. You 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 carry stories of your own failures, but your own being able to get past those failures, and other people's failures, and being able to get past those failures. These are all stories. You think, where does God fit into my story? Because as God is sovereign God over all the universe, nothing is happening unaware in His life, in, in, in our life, that is not aware to Him. And that He, in some way, large or small, is actually a part of that story and is crafting your life. Now, for some of us, we push back on God being a part of our story. We push against that when we should be embracing that. But if we could go into this world and realize the power of our own story and of God's grace in our life. And if we could unleash that, what a missional life we would live. What an ability to live on mission with God. So throughout this message today, I want you to be thinking of your life. This is a time you can be very self-centered, okay? Think of your life. And I want you to be asking yourself again and again the question, where is God in the story, in the narrative of my life? So take your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 26. I want to tell you the story of a life-changing story of a man named Paul. We all know Paul. If you've been in church at any length of time, he wrote most of the New Testament. But this is a story whenever Paul, who's been arrested and stands on trial in front of Herod Agrippa. Herod is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. So he has a lineage here going on. And Agrippa is about 30 years old, and he is in charge of the northern territories of Palestine that's ruled by Rome. He's pretty much the final say. So when King Agrippa comes around, then everybody stands at attentions and, and salutes. This young king had more power than he had morals or brains. He actually had an incestuous relationship with his stepsister, Bernice, that is mentioned and alluded to in in uh, chapter 25. So we have this immoral king who's ruling this nation. And Agrippa is in the area, is in the region, visiting family, uh, and uh, comes to also his regional magistrate, Festus. And, and and at that point, it just happens to be that that at that time, Paul is on trial. And he is having to stand before... What may have been a Festus on a normal day, this this is now he's standing before King Agrippa, and, and the amazing thing is, is that what, what what Paul does is he's got this one chance to tell his to, to defend his life in, in in one way. What does he do? Does he bring out the facts, the rap sheet on his life? Does he bring out a spreadsheet of all the good things that he's done for mankind, all the good ways he's maybe been a good Roman tax paying citizen? Does he bring out his IRS statements? No. It wasn't the facts that, that he told King Agrippa. He actually tells him his story. You have people in your life that are not King Agrippas, but you do have some that are King Agrippas, and they're your bosses, they're your supervisors. And there are people all around you that you can tell your story to that oh, I cannot tell my story to because if I tell my story, then I'll be fired from my job. You know, you may not be able to take your Bible into your workplace and open it up and start preaching a message at the, at the water cooler, but I dare say in the right tone, in the right place, in the right atmosphere, in the right manner, you can tell your story because it's your story. And you can include Christ in that story because it's your story. All you're doing is telling your story. And so, as he's standing before King Agrippa, he begins to tell a story. Well, look with me at verse one of chapter twenty-six. So, King so, so Agrippa said to Paul, "You have permission to speak for yourself." As he stands before the king, verse twenty-six or, or, or chapter twenty-six. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So he was a hand-gesturing, speaking kind of guy. All right, number two, verse two. I consider myself fortunate. That it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. So he doesn't come in and say, you heathen, incestuous king, let me preach to you a message, you King Agrippa. I get one chance and I'm going to fire it at you. He doesn't do that at all. He actually compliments him. You see, he respects him. He respects his position. I'm fortunate that I can speak to you, King Agrippa. In verse three, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. Can you see the tone? Can you can you feel the tension in the room as he stands before this this young but yet probably arrogant King Agrippa? And he has that one opportunity to defend his life? And to what does he do? He tells his story. He says, I just I just want you to listen patiently. And in the next few verses, he begins to unpack his life and tell his story. And then you come on down and you skip on down to verse 26 and 20. Because the rest of the verses he's basically telling his story. Now go on down to verse 27. Verse 27, it says, In King Agrippa. Do, the prophet, uh, do, you know, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, now this is an interesting statement, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Verse 29. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you But also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. As he stands before King Agrippa, he tells a story. And King Agrippa, of his own accord, there was something going on between his story and the Holy Spirit and, and King Agrippa's heart. All of a sudden, this arrogant, proud, incestuous king is standing there hearing the story of this ch- chained prisoner. He had enough power in one second. He could have killed him. But he patiently listened to his story. And God used that story to get into King Agrippa's heart. And it was through that experience that King Agrippa said, In such a short time, you've nearly persuaded me to become a Christian. Wow. Now, I want you to go back to your life again. I said, This is the time you can be very self centered today. And I want you to ask yourself your question Do you have a story? I know you do. But do you have a story that includes an encounter with God's grace that so revolutionizes your life that if you go into this world armed, equipped, ready to share your story, what, whose life could you possibly help persuade to become a follower of Christ? You say, Mike, I can't talk like you. I don't know the Scriptures like this person over here or or that person over there. I can't, I can't, I, I don't, I don't. You have a story. And I believe in this day of post-Christendom, one of the greatest values that we have, one of the greatest tools we have, one of the most, the best bridge we can get to the Scriptures to be able to share Scriptures with them is to be able to articulate gracefully as Paul was, lovingly as Paul was, respectfully as Paul was, our story of God's grace in our life. Now how does Paul do this? How does Paul unpack this? There's basically three questions that I want you to think of to ask about your life in your faith. And let this be a test of a true introspection of your own heart and life. But let it be also a preparation as you go into this world. The first question is, what is or was my life like before encountering Jesus Christ? What was my life like? What did it look like? Or is it? Before encountering Christ, because i 'm not going to assume that everybody in this room has had an encounter with Jesus Christ That's a, that is not a fair that is not a safe assumption that is not a good assumption that we have all had this encounter with Christ, but what kind of life was your life like before receiving Christ before following Christ? look at Mark chapter or excuse me Acts chapter nine there again, excuse me acts twenty six verse nine it says i myself was convinced that I ought to do many things. Now, this is Paul telling his story to King Agrippa. This is the things that he did opposing the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I did, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often, in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even in foreign cities. Paul just really becomes really transparent here. Before King Agrippa, he says, listen, I hated Christians. I hated persecuted, I killed, I threw the first stone maybe at Stephen. Maybe he went that far to say that. I cast votes to make sure these guys were annihilated. I wanted them gone. It was not a glamorous life that Paul lived before becoming, before encountering Christ. It was not a beautiful picture. As an eight-year-old boy, I, I became a follower of Christ. and I have to tell people this a lot. At eight years old, I was not dealing drugs in the sandbox, all right? I was not a horrible no good scoundrel, I was an honri toot, and I'll tell you that. And I stayed some sometime after that. But at eight years old I realized that I needed Christ. There was something that happened and it was again that Holy Spirit working with me and and, and the message at church and all of a sudden I realized I need a relationship with Jesus Christ and I held on to the back of that pew in that little Montnay Baptist Church in Rogers and I I wouldn't let go of it and I ran to the preacher afterwards and I told him, I need to become a Christian. Later home, I went home that afternoon and I sat down with my mother at the kitchen table and we prayed and and she led me to become a Christ follower. You know, that's my story. It's a part of my story. But my life before, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like Paul's. But what's amazing is is in our church, we have had so many people baptized. What's really, really cool about our baptism is that many times they're adults. In a lot of churches, you'll see a lot of children growing up in church, and that's great and beautiful when they grow up in church like me, growing up at eight years old, get baptized, and i just kind of I've been in church all my life. But what's really beautiful, I think, is whenever you see a grown man in his 30s and 40s who's making a lot in life, doing a lot in life, or maybe life begins to fall apart, and he all of a sudden hits, hits a brick wall or she hits a brick wall, and all of a sudden they realize they can't do it anymore on their own. And they kind of hit a bankruptcy of their own spirit. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, unless you're poor in spirit, that's where it all begins. That's the Beatitudes. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The greatest wealth of of everything is the kingdom of heaven. You can't inherit that until you are first bankrupt in your spirit. I think even as an 8-year-old child, I had to realize I was bankrupt in my spirit. Pete shared his story last week, just briefly, but he said just five years ago, he had to become bankrupt in his spirit. You have your story. When have you ever been bankrupt in your spirit? When you reach that bankruptcy moment and all the wheels fall off the bus, and you, maybe not life is not falling apart, but in your spirit you realize it's not complete. It's not there. It's not all packaged together right. Maybe it's a personal crisis. Maybe it's a death. Maybe just reality slaps you in the face. But whatever it is, you reach that moment. That's where Paul was, in the darkest caverns of that, of that persecuted, far from Christ's life. He told his story. I don't, I don't agree with everything that Sam Keynes concludes in, in his book, Hymns to an Unknown God, but there is one statement I'd like to read to you. The quest begins when an individual falls into a spiritual black hole which everything that was solid vaporizes. Certainties vanish. Authorities are questioned. All the usual comforts and assurances of religion fail, and the path disappears. That, my friend, mark it down, must happen in all of our lives when we reach a spiritual black hole, when when the wheels fall off and we just say, you know what, this isn't right and my life isn't right and my life isn't whole and it's been down this path. And I don't care how dark, again, 8 years old or 18 or, or 28 or 38 or 58, I don't care when it is, but there has to become a time in our life when we realize this isn't right and you encounter Christ. And what a beautiful moment that is. That begins. That, that, that new story in, in your life. Number two question you need to ask yourself when you come to telling your story or writing your story is how did I come to a decision point to follow Christ? Decision point. I've heard people say this, well, I've been a Christian all my life. Well, I just want to say that's impossible. Okay? That's impossible. You can't be a Christian all your life. Jesus even said you've got to be born again. Okay? You're born once physically. But there's got to be a second birth that happens. See, I grew up in church all my life. I can say the same. I tell people I went to church nine months before I was ever born. All right? I mean, I, I was in church. All I knew was church. That's all it was in my life was church. I've never not gone to church. But it didn't make me a, a follower of Christ. It didn't make me a Christian. And so when was the time that there was a crossroad in my life that, 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 that I had to come to? Even David mentions that in, in Psalm 51, verse 3. He says, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. I was brought forth in iniquity. And in, my mother's, uh, in sin, my mother conceived me. So even David realized as a child he was not perfect and not right before God. You remember Kevin Lehman who was here a few weeks ago in his grandfatherly kind of way. What does he call children? Hedonistic little suckers. And they are. You know, we don't have to teach them to lie, cheat, or steal. They just, are. They just do it, all right? They don't have to teach them to be selfish. They, they just are. We have to untrain them because there is a sinful nature in all of us. And it comes to a point in all of our lives when we have to come to, to an intersection, if you will. Decision point. What was that decision point like for you? That decision point is crucial. Joshua called the people of Israel to it. He said, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Were the gods of the fathers, who your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There has to become a decision point in your life. You need to be able to look back and say, okay, there was a time in my life when... You may not remember the day, the time, the hour, and all." I'm not asking for that. God's not either. There's a point in your time when you know that you made a decision to follow Christ. Look at verse 12 of Acts 26. In this connection, again, he's talking about all of his persecution, him going to foreign cities. Well, he's actually on the road to Damascus. He says, in this connection I journeyed Damascus and the authority of the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O oh, King, I, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and, and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language. So if you want to know what language God speaks, it's Hebrew. So you better bone up on it, all right? It's going to be the language of heaven maybe. Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? I'm sure that is a Palestinian proverb. I don't know what it is. All right, verse 15. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise up and stand on your feet, for I am appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen and to those in which I will appear to you. Wow! What an encounter! What a crossroads! And then it was literally a crossroads on the Damascus Road. Here was Paul going through life and all of a sudden he hits a black hole when he encounters the light of Christ. And at that moment, it became a decision point for him. It became that point of, okay, am I going with you, God, or not? And he obviously has had this amazing encounter on the Damascus Road, and there's not much of a decision at that point. He is going with God. Listen, when you get out into this world and you're talking to your colleagues at work, you can tell your story. Tell your story. But don't get caught up in the, I was baptized in this church, I grew up in this church, I went to this, pa- this pastor, this youth guy, went with this youth camp. Don't give them the, the zip codes. Don't give them names and addresses. Tell them why. Tell them why. Paul tells why his life was changed. He tells them about the why of, of his conversion. Focus on the why of when you're telling your story. Tell about your life before you became a follower of Christ. Tell about... How you became a follower of Christ. That decision point in your life. Now I want to stop here and I want to just say this. For some of you today, you've never made that decision to follow Christ. It's never been a decision. You've, again, grown up a Christian all your life. I just want to challenge you. It's not biblical. There has to be a time when I get serious and I say, I'm following you, Jesus. For Paul, it was on the Damascus Road. For you, it may be on the McCollum Road today. I don't know when it will be. Number three, third question you ask yourself if you're going to be able to tell your story of God's work in you is, how has your life been morphed since following Christ? How has your life been changed morphed? You know the word metamorphosis? It's when that old fuzzy worm becomes a, a beautiful butterfly. What is God doing in your life? since you become a follower of Christ. See, a lot of people can show baptism certificates all day long. That's somebody they tell me this past week. He says, I think I'm a member of just about every church in northwest Arkansas. He said explain that to me. Because I attend all of them. I said, well, okay. You know what? You could have been baptized, sprinkled, dunked, and sprayed in every river, pond, and lake because the fish know you by your first name. But that won't get you to heaven. You know, it's not about where your membership is. It's not about where you were baptized. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus that changes your life. If there's no change, I really question whether or not God is truly at work in your life. See, your story is a life-changing story. How is He morphing you? How is He changing you? How is He rearranging your life? Look at verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. He could have been disobedient, but he said absolutely not. He made a decision to follow Christ To the heavenly vision, for I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout the region of Judea, and the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds keeping with repentance. For this reason Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. This is the story of Paul. He was a persecutor of the church, but now he becomes a preacher in the church. He was the one who was against God, but now he is for God. He was against Christ, but now he is for Christ. What an amazing transformation takes place. How has Christ changed your life? How is He changing your life? If there's no change, go back. Look at the decision point. Has He really changed your life? Is He really morphing you? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Anyone who's joined with Christ is a new being. Old is gone. the new has come. Romans 12:2 talks about being transformed. We shared that a few weeks ago about being transformed, not conformed. Transformation is something that happens from the inside. Out it comes out of us. So I have a challenge for us today challenge for all of us in this room. You'll fall into one of these two categories. If you are a believer today, if you are a follower of Christ today, we are talking about mission all month long, and you can be a missionary wherever you live. Here's the challenge. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story this week. I want to challenge you to tell your story at least one time this week to someone. That means you're going to have to really think it through. Now, I don't think you need to get on the soapbox. I don't think you need to get your big Bible. And and you can just share your story as you go. Here's, here's Here's a simple way to do that. Go home this afternoon and start writing your story. Start thinking through your story. If you'll write your story out in total, my life before Christ, how I became a follower of Christ, and the change in my life since following Christ, if you'll write it out in 200 words or less, you'll be able to share that story. You'll be able to share your story Within 90 seconds, a ride up an elevator, within a a coffee, a water cooler moment. You'll be able to share your story in in as brief of a detail as you need to just to to pique an interest, just to speak of, of Christ's work in your life. You can do it so quickly and just leave that seat and walk off. Okay? Let it be natural. Let it be like Paul. Paul used his words. He was very, very eloquent with his words to just kind of speak gracefully to the person. But Tell your story to one person this week. Write it out this week. That's your challenge. When you go to your body life group, practice your story. Because that's, your story is so unlike my story. And mine is unlike yours. We've got to tell our story. But I also want to challenge some in this room today. are not yet followers of Christ to write your story. If your story was a book and every chapter of your book and I I like writing out having people actually write out their life stories by using chapters. So if your life were a chapter book and you've gone through all of your spiritual dark holes and you've had high moments and low moments and you've had all these experiences in life, but you're, you're at the end of this chapter and it's time to write a new chapter. And here's my challenge to you today. Turn the page and start afresh today. Call this chapter heading, My New Life. And then maybe the first sentence will say something like this. March, May 23rd, 2010 at Grace Point Church in Bentonville, Arkansas. I crossed the line and I got serious about living for Jesus. And I have a new life because of it. What a story you can write from this point forward. I'll tell you, my aunt is not in this room, but um, she'll probably be in the second service or something like that. I can remember when I was a, um, just a young high schooler or something like that. But I knew I was going into ministry at that point. I was at my grandmother's house having a ham sandwich. I don't I, know well, why I remember that. It was a ham sandwich, and I was eating it and very content to focus on my ham sandwich at the moment. And my aunt was there, and she would started going to church because she had had a son at this point and started going to church. and um, And so she came in. She sat down with me. And she said, you know what? Uh, can I ask you a few questions? I've been asked to, at church to kind of write my testimony or my story about when I, my life before Christ, when I came to the decision to follow Christ, and my life after Christ, to write my story out. He said, okay. I said, talk to me through it. And so she, she started telling me about her life before Christ. And then it kind of got a little fuzzy. And then it, uh, how she became a follower of Christ. And it, it was even even fuzzier, her life after following Christ. I said, let's start back over. Let's begin again. So we go back here. And, and I put down my ham sandwich at this point, and I started focusing. And, and so we started going here, and we, we got here. She could never get past her life before following Christ. And I said, you know what? Have you ever given your life to following Jesus? She said, oh, I was baptized. And she even went to the photo album and pulled out a baptism certificate. And I said, that's really cool. Have you ever given your life to following Christ? And she realized on that moment, in my grandmother's dining room, that she had never given her life to Christ. We went into the living room and we knelt down there and we prayed, and she gave her life to following Christ. And she's a follower of Christ today. You know, what's your story? Do you have a story? If you don't, turn the page. And let's start writing a new chapter today. Would you pray with me? I can't make it any more personal than this. Would you examine your heart today? Would you ask yourself the question, Have I ever had an encounter? With Jesus Christ in such a way he's changed my life and I'm following him. I'm trusting him for my eternity I'm trusting him for my now I'm trusting him for my forever I'm trusting him to take away my sin I'm just I'm just trusting Jesus for everything. it's all on the table. If you can't in your whole heart say that with all your heart then today is a beautiful day for you to write a new chapter to live a new life. And it's going to be really simple because where you are right now, you can just sit there and say, God, I realize I've been church gaming it as I've been church shopping it, as I've been going through the motions, and I really need to be changed from the inside out. You can just say it in your own words. It was beautiful last Sunday night at North Point seeing multiple people Express an interest, some even going so far as praying and asking Jesus into their life. And what a beautiful process that is. You say, but I'm embarrassed and I don't know what to say or do. Just be honest before God. The challenge is going to be also to make that that proclamation public. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, and during this song you're going to be invited just come. I'll be standing here at the front. People will be singing. People will be praying around you. You say, just come and just shake my hand and just say, Mike, I ask Jesus into my heart or I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I am ready to follow Jesus wherever you are right now. You can just make this commitment. Make this a a tremendous, beautiful moment that will forever change the rest of your life. Father God, we bow before you. We thank You for the story that You began in our lives. But it's not finished. I thank You that, Lord, You've given some in this room, many in this room, a story to tell. And we've just been keeping it to ourselves. We've been holding it back. We've been being silent when we should be speaking. But, Lord, also, there's some in this room that maybe have never had that story of your grace and work, truly, truly established in their life and heart. Lord, today, would you give those the courage to step out, to come forward, to declare before God and everyone around, that they're following Jesus with no holds barred. Everything following you changes, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, we bless you praise You in Jesus' name.